Open Field Radio. Like, subscribe, share, and review wherever podcasts are found. If I had to describe this, I'd say it's cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Because ag and life live side by side and sometimes overlap. I'm your host, Mark Flint, and this is Open Field Radio. Brought to you by Gowan Company. Katie Commander, Bristol, Tennessee. Agroforestry and the Appalachian Sustainable Development. Forest farming, alley cropping, environmental and economic benefits, and it's all cool. We talk it all right now. So you, said, you told me this is the first podcast you've been on? Yes, first podcast. I've been on the radio before and I've been um, on the news. For good things, not bad things. <laughs> no. Uh, no. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, I've been, I've been inter- interviewed like that before, but never on a podcast. So this is my first podcast. Well, welcome to Open Field Radio. This is cool. That's quite a privilege then. I'm glad. I was looking some stuff up last night uh, getting ready for today. I realized you have a master's in forestry. And with all your other education and everything else you have, you are living and working 100% in your specialty. I am, yeah, in, in agroforestry. What a great place to be. Yeah, it's, it's rare, I think, these days. I know initially my undergrad is in international studies and economic development. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, agroforestry was not in my vocabulary, say, nine years ago uh, when I first moved to Appalachia in, in 2012. Um, it, I, I always say that I didn't find agroforestry. It found me because that's pretty much the way it went. You know, I was looking for forward to joining the Peace Corps and I ended up joining AmeriCorps and, um, linked up with an amazing organization that I still work for today, Appalachian Sustainable Development. And they said, you know, Hey, we, we've got an extra position open. It's in the agroforestry department. And I said, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) So so more more so my interview with agroforestry was um, my my now boss um, telling me what agroforestry was. (laughs) (laughs) And somehow they hired you, huh? Somehow they hired me, yep. (laughs) Well, take me through this because there's there's two things I'm fascinated with here. How did you wind up in Appalachia? And then secondly, what was your path to agroforestry? If it found you, how did this all come about? Yeah. So my last semester in undergrad, um, I was interning for the Department of Interior, the Office of Surface Mining in D.C. And that was sort of the behind the scenes office for an AmeriCorps VISTA team called the Appalachian Coal Country team. Um, And that program, you know, basically sends, it's like the Domestic Peace Corps through AmeriCorps VISTA. So they send, um, people like me into remote areas in Appalachia um, to work on poverty issues, largely. But um, also my program had environmental focus as well. And so originally I was supposed to uh, move to Beckley, West Virginia at their headquartered office um, and work out there, but they ended up having too many positions filled there already. And about three days before I graduated, they said that they could no longer place me there, and so they were frantically trying to find another position for me, and they contacted Appalachian Sustainable Development, or ASD, and said, hey, would you like another VISTA? And they're like, sure, we could use her in the agroforestry department. <laughs> and so that's how agroforestry found me. <laughs> that's why with this interview, you know, I really had no idea what it was, and it was more me getting to know the program and uh, what agroforestry is, and less so me interviewing for the job. (laughs) 
Wow. And the rest is history. <laughs> and the rest is history. What part of Appalachia are you in? So I live in uh, northeast Tennessee and uh, work primarily, uh, our, our office is located in southwest Virginia, so very close to the border. Oh, okay. So North Carolina isn't far away either right there. No, North Carolina is about an hour away. Right. And uh, and we, we cover largely across central Appalachia. We work with a number of different partners, so you know we're working with some partners and farmers all the way up in Ohio even. I'm fascinated with the region because I believe there's a lot of mystery there. And there's a lot of heritage there that I think goes overlooked. So they said, great, we'll take you in agroforestry. And you said, great, what do I do? <laughs> well, first I had to learn how to drive. <laughs> you know, oh, I, I, grew up in, oh. I grew up in cities, so I, I had to get my driver's license. I had to buy a car and move down because there's no public transportation. So that was a big shift for me, too. Wow. Um, but I remember my first week on the job, or, or it was within the first month, um, I was in the back of a minivan, and we were um, putting ramp bulbs together in little packages to go uh, for people who were attending this ramp cultivation workshop to take home. Okay. And um, a ramp is a, is a wild leek that grows natively here in Appalachia, and it stinks. Real bad. <laughs> so we're in the back of this van. It smelled terrible. My hands probably smelled for weeks. But we get to this this site, and there's, you know, about 25 people there that show up that want to learn how to grow these wild leeks in their woods. Um, and I remember um, my mentor at the time, Jenny Peterson, uh, talking a little bit about, you know, how to grow rams, where to find them, what's the best place to plant them. And then she did a little demonstration of how to plant the bulbs. Um, and I was hooked line and sinker right then and there. Oh, <laughs> I don't man. care if my hand smelled for a week, but <laughs> it, it was just exciting to see, you know, being able to teach folks about native plants that are growing in their woodlands and, and how to grow them and how to use them. And it, it's all exciting work. You're listening to Open Field Radio. I don't know about you, but it seems like everywhere I turn right now, there's something about jobs and the abundance of jobs available out there. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career at Gowan? Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com slash careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com slash careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. I want to hear from you. Yep, and not just an email. Though emails are cool, and of course this will involve an email too, but it'll be a cool email. Because here's what I need you to do. Grab your phone, find the voice app. You know the little memo app in your phone that nobody uses for much of anything? We're going to use it. I want you to give me your name, where you're from, what you do, and that you listen to Open Field Radio. So it would go like this. I'm Mark, Yuma, Arizona, host of Open Field Radio, and I listen to Open Field Radio. Got it? Just Fill in the blanks with your information. Shoot it off to me in an email, info at openfieldradio.com. I just might use it on the air. And if I do, I'll send you something cool. How's that? Because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Just a quick shout out to some places that we know they're listening to Open Field Radio. Big shout out to Olathe, Kansas, Columbia, Missouri, Salinas, California, Lubbock, Texas, and Tel Aviv, Israel. Thanks for listening. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio agroforestry ag meets forestry is that really what it is oftentimes we have we sort of have this separate distinction you have agriculture and you have forestry and what agroforestry is it's a combination of those two integrated into a land use management system so 
you know, rather than just having row crops of corn, for example, or having your cattle out in the pasture land, you're integrating perennial trees and shrubs into those systems. So it's not, you know, a singular crop that you're growing. Um, it's mo- much more of an integrated holistic system. So is this something you, you introduce to the traditional farmer, or is this something that's introduced to the traditional forest management folks, or which, which side of the line, or where does this start? Both. I think that's, that's sort of the beauty of agroforestry. It's the intersection of those two fields. Um, so, you know, largely in Appalachia, it's very, very heavily, heavily wooded where we are, and there's a lot of native species that grow in the woods. It's one of the most biodiverse places on the earth, right? Well, where does it begin? And so we're, we're working with forest landowners um, and, you know, forestry extension agents, Department of Forestry, you know, um, folks to learn different species that can be grown in a shaded environment, you know, so different forest botanicals like native American ginseng and ramps or the wild leeks that I was talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, how to basically farm in the shade. You know, that's what forest farming is. You're growing high value crops in the forest understory. So, you know, that would be working largely with forest landowners. Um, but, you know, in open fields, there's lots of other agroforestry practices where, um, you know, trees can be incorporated into the landscape. So you mentioned alley cropping, right? That's another practice that ASC works with um, most most recently. And that's basically where you have rows of trees and shrubs. And then in the alleyways between those rows, you're growing annual or perennial herbaceous crops. And so it's, it's integrating multiple species into one system. And you have your, you're definitely incorporating your woody species, your trees or your shrubs. So let's say with a traditional farm, how is this introduced? How does the traditional farmer and someone like you come together? You go, hi, I got an idea for you. Or do they reach out to you and go, hey, you know what? We need to do something different. Yeah, for well, for ASD, um, folks can up- apply to have a site visit. And that would mean that members of our team would come out to uh, their farm to talk with them about their goals and their interests and assess their site um, for agroforestry potential. You know, so we could talk to them about maybe what natural resource concerns they have on their land. If they're experiencing, you know, quite a bit of soil erosion, for example, um, especially in their riparian area, Mm -hmm. we might consider a riparian buffer. And that's another agroforestry practice where you're planting trees along the waterway. So because it's me and I just didn't know, I had to look this up, riparian buffer. Pretty cool. And it makes great sense. It's the introduction or in some cases the reintroduction of vegetation along waterways, mostly trees or forestation of some sort. It helps partially shade and protect the waterways, the streams, the lakes, wherever it may be. It plays a key role in increasing water qualities along those waterways. Also helps with erosion and a number of other things. But agroforestry practices have a lot of benefits a lot check it out so you know taking a look at you know what are some of the natural resource concerns on site that agroforestry practices can address but also what are some of the social and economic benefits that they're looking to get out of these practices as well Um, because agroforestry provides not only environmental benefits but economic and social benefits too so you know when i've i worked um, previously with u.s fish and wildlife service and um they had a program where, with the Partners for Fish and Wildlife program, they were working with landowners on a, a riverway in um, southwest Virginia that had endangered fish and mussel species. Okay. And it, there was a lot of erosion that was occurring um, along this particular creek, Copper Creek, that we were working in. And so they, 
they were trying to get farmers to plant trees along their waterway in a riparian buffer. And they were doing some in-stream restoration work as well to help mitigate erosion. Um, and they were having a hard time getting farmers interested in the practice because, you know, they a lot of them were mowing right up to the stream bank. They had cleared a lot of the trees away because they wanted to look at the pretty river. And so it's, it's a different mindset, sort of a cultural shift. I think farmers... Um, for many generations now, been trying to get trees off of their land, right? And so it's sort of this reverse psychology of, well, here are the benefits of trees, and you know, you, you won't necessarily be losing, you know, several inches of your stream bank every year if we can plant trees here. Um, but also looking at like different species that are native that could be planted in those systems that could be harvested for, you know, jams or jellies uh, for their for their friends and their family, or if they were interested in um, going for market. Another thing that ASD does is help connect farmers with markets so that the conservation practices that are being implemented provide an economic benefit as well. Um, and that we've seen that that makes it farmers are more interested um, if you can sort of understand what, what their needs and their interests are and meet them where they are. And it's not just about conservation, but it's conservation and commerce mixed together. That was my thought. The farmer clears this land to farm it and now you're coming back and going, hang on, let's put something back in here that you've already taken out. Is that a hard conversation? Or at, at the point of need, as you just said, whether it be a, a conservation issue or, or whatever it may be, maybe it's not a hard conversation. I think, you know, it's, it's going to depend on the farmer. When You know, I've worked with a lot of farmers on riparian buffers, for example, and, um, you know, some of them were, were just really saddened that, you know, they were seeing several inches of soil just floss off into the creek every year. And mm-hmm. they were basically losing frontage, <laughs> you sure. know, in front of their house. And so <laughs> right. they really yeah, want to address good. that resource concern. But, and then they also remember fishing in that creek as a kid. And they've noticed that there's far less fish over time because of that soil erosion. And so they really wanted to address that concern. But, you know, they did have some concerns about planting trees and shrubs, in, especially in Appalachia, where sometimes it's, it's hard to find open, flat-tillable land. Right, um, right. It's pretty hilly. And so, you know, taking that land out of production can definitely be a concern. We had a lot of farmers in that area that were um, using that particular site for hay, uh-huh. for cut hay. And so, you know, having a conversation about, you know, what are the natural resource concerns you want to address, but... What would you like to get out of this? You know, are there alternative crops aside from hay that we could work with you on in these systems that are produced from trees and shrubs and trying to go about it from there? So the benefits of agroforestry are both economic and environmental. And that all makes sense. And the list is pretty extensive. I could go through it, but you know what? Let's let Katie do it. Environmental benefits are are many. You know, you, you're looking at reduction in soil erosion. You're looking at increase in biodiversity, um, pollinator habitat, wildlife habitat, carbon sequestration. Um, you know, you're you're really looking at lots and lots of environmental benefits and and the economic benefits. Um, I one of the biggest that I see is that you're increasing the diversity of crops that you're growing. So, you know, if you're just growing a singular crop in a monocrop system and you have a crop failure, that's going to be a big economic blow for your farm. Whereas with agroforestry, you're integrating multiple species into one land use management system. So you're uh, mitigating your risk a lot more by having multiple species. So that's, that's one of the biggest economic benefits that I've, I've seen from agroforestry. 
So what are some of the crops that, that are introduced? It depends on the system and, and where the system is. So, you know, when, when we were working with riparian buffers, you know, we're looking at species that um, can handle uh, flooding and that like to have, you know, some wet feet. <laughs> so oh, we were sure, looking at, sure. you know, native uh, American pawpaws. Um, we were planting elderberry shrubs. Um, we were looking at black walnut and, and a few other different species that um, can handle that sort of environment. And then, you know, for forest farming, we're, we're really looking, we're trying to, to do our best to mimic what would natively grow in a system. Um, and so, you know, we're mostly practicing a form of forest farming called uh, wild simulated, where okay. you're, you're looking at what natively grows in, in the woods, and you're trying to mimic it as best as possible in a farming system. So rather than having, you know, like tilled rows or tilled beds under the forest, um, it's a very much an integrated um, polycultural system. So we might have species like American ginseng and golden seal and black cohosh and blue cohosh and false unicorn root, you know, all sort of growing um, in, a, in a similar system, integrated together. I see. And this is maintained like any other crop would be maintained? Yeah, um, I think you know forest farming is my favorite kind of farming because I'm I am Irish and Scottish descent and I burn pretty easily. <laughs> so that's the biggest benefit I see for me is I get to hang out in the woods in the, in the shade. shade. Huh? <laughs> I get it. I see it. Yeah, that's but it, fun. it it can be more manual depending on the site. Um, so a lot of the wooded sites that we work with, it's just too steep to really bring in any sort of equipment. Um, like a tiller or a root harvester, sure. um, anything like that. So a lot of it um, is actually done by hand for the harvest and the planting. So that's one of the big differences. So this is kind of fun. If you're interested in the agroforestry practices and standards nationwide, there's a really cool map at the USDA.gov site. I'll post it on the openfieldradio.com site. You can see it from there. But it's got all 50 states, and you can click on it. It tells you the different practices is going on in those regions. For instance, I'm in Arizona. So if I click on that, it tells me Arizona's got it all going on. Alley cropping, multi-story cropping, uh, riparian forest buffers, on and on and on. It's all there. Click on another state. Let's go up here to Pennsylvania. Just grabbing one. Alley cropping, multi-story cropping. But it's not doing windbreak renovations and some other things. You can check it out for yourself. I'll be sure to post it. In Appalachia, you know, I think some of the common practices we see is forest farming because we have a lot of woods here. Um, riparian buffers is definitely a big practice that's um, well promoted by the Natural Resources Conservation Service and other environmental agencies. Um, and then to a smaller degree, we're, we're, having, we're seeing some increased interest in silvopasture as well in Appalachia, um, where you're integrating trees into um, your pasture land. In the Midwest, you, you largely see, you know, if you think about like the Dust Bowl era, um, lots uh -huh. and lots of wind erosion issues. So shelter belts and wind breaks are big, big practices, agroforestry practices that um, occur in the Midwest, along with, you know, again, riparian buffers. And uh, there's lots of partners that are starting to work on alley cropping in the Midwest as well. Let's go back to adding trees to pasture land. Walk me through the benefits there. One of the biggest benefits that our farmers here are interested in is just a reduction of heat stress in the livestock. Oh, I see. Um, sure. And that, that, can, that can help increase their weight. Um, so, you know, if you, if, you have, if, if you ever have seen cattle in a pasture and there's that one singular tree out there, 
Right. <laughs> and all the cattle are under that one tree because they're trying to cool off. Um, that That's sort of what I, that's not what silvopasture is. You know, silvopasture would be multiple trees incorporated into a system. Um, but that's one of the biggest benefits that farmers around here are looking for is that, that reduction of heat stress. Um, and then they can also have multiple yields, right? And so you have a tree crop and you have your livestock all in the same system. Um, so again, you're diversifying what you're producing within the same area. We've talked forest farming. Is there a difference? I've, I came across the phrase uh, multi-story cropping. Is there any difference or is that just two sides of the same coin? Yeah, two sides of the same coin. I think the multi-story cropping is, uh, I believe, the the phrase that the, nat- the USDA uses right now. But I think that they're getting, they might be getting that change to forest farming so it's not quite as confusing. <laughs> okay, okay. And the multi-story idea being the canopy is one thing and obviously it works its way down and you've got the forest floor is, a, is something else going on. Mm-hmm, exactly. You mentioned the USDA. That's how I found you, was through a mutual connection at the USDA. I was actually looking up another topic for another episode and came across agroforestry. And I was like, I have no idea what this is. And the more I read and the more I dug through it, I was like, I got to find somebody to talk to. Couldn't find anybody, of course. So I reached out to a, I don't know, a contact us kind of thing at the USDA. And uh, Richard Strait got back to me and said, hey, I know somebody. And he sent me your way. That's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. We we work a lot with the National Agroforestry Center, uh, creating a number of tools and publications. They're a partner of ours on a number of different grants. It's always a pleasure to work with Rich and, and some other folks at NAC. He's been a big help, and he's uh, very, very cool. Talk to me about the Appalachian Sustainable Development. Is that correct? Did I say it right? Yeah, well, I guess it depends on where you're from in Appalachia. But I when I first moved down here, I was corrected quite often, okay. <laughs> that it's Appalachia. <laughs> okay. But I grew up in PA where we say it differently. Sure. <laughs> so it just depends on what where you are in Appalachia of how it's said. Okay. Well, talk to me about it. We're a nonprofit organization, and we've originally were founded in 1995 serving southwest Virginia and northeast Tennessee, but we've, we've since expanded to really work throughout central Appalachia with a network of partners. Um, but we're we're working within central Appalachia um, to help create um, healthy opportunities for Appalachians, create economic opportunities um, that all are mindful and, you know, ecologically mindful of the environment. Um, So the practice or the program that I work um, with at ASD the most is our agroforestry program. I'm the director of that program. And uh, a really exciting project that we created back in 2017 is called the Appalachian Harvest Herb Hub, and that's a social enterprise program of ASD based in Duffield, Virginia, in far southwest Virginia in Scott County. And that's where we sort of work on the processing and marketing piece for farmers. So oftentimes with, with agroforestry products, um, it's, you know, we hear that there's a black hole of market information. You know, they're, they might be native, they're not necessarily, you know, large-scale commodity crops, um, and so it's hard to find a market for some of these products. And so we, we're sort of at Appalachian Harvest trying to fill in that gap and trying to help identify markets for farmers, and we can aggregate product there and ship it out to buyers, and we have uh, processing equipment there that farmers can use to help meet buyer specifications. 
And that's that's one of my favorite programs that um, we've been working on since 2017. I saw a video online of some of your processing equipment and some testimonials that said from folks that said without this equipment, uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So you guys provide a great service. Yeah, the the Outmatch and Harvest Herb Hub actually it was rooted in a community need. So you know we've we've been teaching forest farmers how to cultivate you know different native forest botanicals for a number of years, you know, since two, since before 2012 when I came on board at ASD. And as they're getting ready to harvest, you know, they're realizing that at a home scale, you know, scrubbing roots with toothbrushes and putting multiple batches into a small little tabletop dehydrator that you get from Cabela's, <laughs> it's a lot of time and labor, right? Sure. And so, like, they weren't sure. making any money at it. <laughs> right. No, I could see that. Yeah. So we had a group of farmers come to us and say, you know, we really need – commercial scale shared use equipment Um, because the bigger equipment is just too expensive for any one individual farmer to purchase. And so as a nonprofit, we're able to apply for grants to purchase that equipment. And we have our facility in Duffield. It's nested within our Appalachian Harvest food hub that's been around for 21 years now. Can't believe saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. So we're able to, to meet that community need and give them the equipment that they need to actually reduce, significantly reduce their post-harvest handling labor costs so that they can actually make money forest farming. Wow, what a great service. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, right? Gowan USA has a broad selection of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides to deliver customized solutions for your crops. Gowan provides the right programs to fit your unique needs, standing behind our products with expert service and support. And Gowan USA is family-owned and operated right here in the United States of America for over 55 years. That's a long time. Check it out for yourself at gowanco.com. And now you know. Cool people having conversations about agriculture and life. Open Field Radio. This is Chandler Bennett, Parabug, Salinas, California. Pilots of Bombardier, all bugs out, bombs away. Season 1, Episode 10, and you're listening to Open Field Radio. And now back to Open Field Radio with our guest, agroforester Katie Commender. Is there any place where agroforestry may be an ag tech kind of crossover or collide? Yeah, there's this really cool program that um, Virginia Tech has been working on called Plant Shoe. And, uh, you know, I it, it can be challenging for, uh, you know, if you're a forest farmer or you want to get into forest farming, and let's say you have 100 acres, it would take forever to walk those 100 acres to try to figure out where's a good site, you know? Sure. And so this Plant Shoe tool is designed, you know, you can plug in your address and it basically takes data about, the, char- the site characteristics that are required for different species that can be grown in a forest farming system. And it takes a look at what characteristics are on your property and it highlights, you know, in a map, different colors of where you might have the highest density of these different species. And that can help narrow down, you know, where might be a good site to start a forest farm. And that's a tool that, that we like to use a lot when we're doing site visits because, you know, if we're coming out to a farm, let's say we only have two hours, we can't walk the whole hundred acres. And so that can help narrow down um, the sites that we go and look at and ground truth. How long does it take to do an analysis like that? Not long at all. It's, it's really simple. It's really easy. Um, that definitely walk in the woods takes far longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the walk in the woods is pretty fun. Yeah. What is your favorite thing about agroforestry? I think 
for me, what I love so much about agroforestry is it's, it's the opportunity to merge conservation and commerce together. And so we, we have a phrase that we use at, at ASD where we're encouraging conservation through profitable cultivation. And, and so oftentimes I feel like conservation in itself is, you know, we're putting in this conservation practice, don't touch it. You know, it's sort of a conservation-only space now on your farm. Whereas I feel like what agroforestry can bring to the table is providing an opportunity to meet farmers where they're at with their needs and their interests. So, you know, if, if they only have, you know, a quarter acre available for hay production and planting a riparian buffer takes most of that out of production, you know, they won't be able to adopt that conservation practice. Sure, sure. So if we can work with farmers to identify alternative crops that could go in that system that provide both economic or social benefits that they're looking for, as well as conservation benefits, I feel like that's sort of the intersection that is the most important with agroforestry, at least in my mind. These farms, some of these farms and some of this farm land area is very small. Yeah, I mean, we we work with farmers who, you know, maybe they only have, uh, you know, a half acre to an acre to work with. And then there's other farms, you know, that they might have 1,600 acres <laughs> right. available. So it, it really runs uh, the gambit. I think the, the biggest difference is that a lot of the land here is wooded. Um, and if it is open pasture land or, or fields, it, it's not flat. <laughs> it's very <laughs> no, rare to right, find right. flat, tillable land, unless it's at the very top of a hill <laughs> a lot of times or, you know, in the floodplain. My name is James Little. I'm right outside Idlew, Texas, and I'm listening to Open Field Radio. What's your favorite thing about working in Appalachia? When, when I first moved here from, from PA and working in D.C. and Philly, it, it's all, it's very fast-paced, and it's very much, you know, get to the point, what do you need, what do you want, let's get it done. And when I first moved to Appalachia, I remember having multiple conversations with farmers where, you know, I just sort of wanted to get to the point initially, but they wanted to get to know me, and they wanted to really have, like, a really decent conversation, and I wasn't used to that. Okay, let's take a step back. Let's hmm. slow down. <laughs> right. I really enjoy life. And I, that's, that's what I like the most about working here. You got a favorite success story out of all of this? I think um, one of my favorites is, goes back to that, you know, why, why we started the Appalachian Harvest Herb Hub. Um, we were working with a, a group of farmers in Grayson County, Virginia, far southwest Virginia, and um, Michelle Pridgen was a member of the Blue Ridge um, Woodland Owners Group. And uh, she she was the one who was using her Cabela's dehydrator and scrubbing roots with toothbrushes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she's like, hey, you know, I'm never going to make any money at this. I might as well grow tomatoes. So sure. so we worked with, with her to, to help develop the Herb Hub. And she was actually one of the first farmers that, that used the Herb Hub. And... Um, we ended up doing an economic analysis with her just to see what her cost savings were from, you know, processing at home versus using the herb hub. And she ended up saving $30 a dry pound wow. on uh, black cohosh. And, wow. and she said, you know, for the first time, I'm actually making money forest farming. And so for me, that just sort of puts to life, you know, why we do this and, and why it's so important. So that's, and Michelle's just a wonderful farmer. I, we love working with her. If anyone in the Appalachian region 
Um, if you have any questions about agroforestry, you can always reach out to Appalachian Sustainable Development, and um, we're, we're more than happy to work with folks on adopting agroforestry, learning more about agroforestry. Um, I, and I'd say, you know, one additional resource that would be great to check out if you're interested in forest farming would be the Appalachian Beginning Forest Farmer Coalition, um, where ASD, along with a number of other uh, organ- nonprofit organizations and government agencies and universities are, are founding members of this coalition based out of Virginia Tech. And uh, we, we come together and we host trainings throughout central Appalachia um, once a year. And we're going to be having some this year uh, and next year. So stay tuned for that if you're interested in, in learning more about forest farming. The Appalachian Sustainable Development, more information there. How do they find you? Yeah, you can go to our website, and that's www.asdevelop.org. Um, and uh, they're more than happy to email me as well. My email address is kcommender at asdevelop.org, and I can point you in the right direction. You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.